This episode of Paper Team is brought to you by the Trucking Board's Launchpad Writing Competitions. In just four years, the Launchpad has helped 216 writers get signed, 68 projects get set up, 35 writers get stuffed, and led to four bidding wars. To check out their current and upcoming competitions, visit tblaunchpad.com and see how the Launchpad can jumpstart your professional writing career. Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore NJ Watson. And today we're going to be talking about TV Characters 101. Why are characters so important to TV writing? What are some key elements to watch out for when writing them? And how can you make them interesting people? And just before we get to talking about characters, we wanted to mention that we're going to be trying out a new segment at the top of the show in about two weeks. And what we're going to do is essentially just cover miscellaneous and any timely or relevant topics that maybe don't warrant an entire episode, but that we want to be able to talk about. Yeah. In a couple of weeks, I'll be probably giving a review of Shonda Rhimes' famed masterclass because a few people have requested that I would go through the trouble of looking and enjoying and partaking in this <laughs> masterclass. So I'll give you updates on that. Yeah, and I had a question on Twitter about going into a little more detail on pitching and even what kind of shows are being overpitched or what is there too much of. So, you know, my day job is in production and management and stuff. So I think I can give a few insights into that, but we didn't want to do an entire episode on it. So we'll cover those kind of things. It's going to be an awesome hot take kind of a segment at the top of the show. So tune in for that. Let's talk characters. So I think we both agree in general that TV is more of a, a character's medium. It's character-driven more so than plot-driven, right? Yeah, I mean, the reason why people tune in week after week to shows is because they care about seeing what and how the characters we write are doing. Even in procedurals like CSI or House, you're not tuning in just for the mechanics of whatever crime or disease is being solved. You're tuning in to watch how the characters decide to solve those issues, all while being entertained by smartest comments by Hugh Laurie, for example. <laughs> and that is why you can't really write a plot-driven pilot, uh, as in the main draw is the plot. No network wants to buy an abstract narrative construct that has no soul. <laughs> I think John August once said that characters are the flour that holds the cake together, while story is the sugar. If you put too much sugar, the cake just falls apart. So character, in a way, are really what makes television what it is. Let's dig into the characters themselves. What kind of people are we going to want to see in a script? I think it's important for us to first talk about character types or archetypes. So I think we're all familiar with a lot of these archetypes, particularly in different genres. So in your high school TV shows, you've got your jock, your cheerleader, your nerd, your rebel bad boy. In those kind of group of friends sitcoms, you've got the lovable loser, the Casanova, the tightly wound neurotic professional and the eccentric weirdo. Maybe in sci-fi shows, you've got the leader, the warrior, the tech genius, and the alien. We're all super familiar with those. Who, who are we, now, Nick, <laughs> those archetypes? <laughs> who are we? Uh, I would say I, I'm... Wait, I think, I think you're the Casanova. Oh, really? Well, that's very nice of you. I was going to say that I was the eccentric... No, the <laughs> neurotic professional. Yeah, let's say that. The neurotic uh, professional. I'm right. definitely the alien. In the, so I don't know. Wait, I, th I thought we were both <laughs> We're aliens. both aliens. Don't tell anyone. I'm an alien of extraordinary ability. Legally. Ooh. That's a legal classification. <laughs> legally. <so. laughs> Wait, do you put that on your resume? <laughs> I should from now on. 
There are also archetypes within the overall character's journey. I always recommend Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey as well as Christopher Vogler's The Writer's Journey. They may not be a device to follow literally throughout every script, but they're at least interesting bases to learn more about those elements. Yeah, you do have to be careful with some of those books that are geared towards feature writing, as it doesn't always apply, but there are definitely things you can take away from it that are really helpful. Speaking of archetypes and stereotypes and things like that, audience expectations are really important, and we've talked about them a lot before. Audiences come into a show with pre-existing expectations based off of their experiences of the real world, of other shows on TV, and particularly in that genre, and also just of storytelling techniques and, and character archetypes they've seen time and time again on the screen. You never really start with a blank slate, and you always have to make conscious decisions to either confirm or deny those audience expectations. How and when you do that is kind of up to you to play with. And another big element to consider when you're sort of crafting those characters is how do they fit in amongst each other? Are we talking about supporting characters, an ensemble, one lead? How does that work? Yeah, it's really important to think about, is your show focused tightly on one character and that character's struggles and everyone else kind of takes a back seat to them? Or are we splitting our time equally between a full ensemble of characters and, you know, their goals as a team? And it is kind of a sliding scale between those two. It's not always one or the other. Right. I mean, I think the key is having a balance between those characters in that cast. Don't just create an ensemble cast of characters because you want to kind of match that epicness and scale of the awesome world you just created. Make these people mean something to the story and to each other. A lot of new writers think of Game of Thrones as their template and then write kind of a sprawling assortment of characters in their 50-page script. And that just cannot work. You need to build momentum for your characters and that includes spending some screen time with them. Game of Thrones is kind of an anomaly for many reasons, not the least of which is that it's based on a series of books. And yet, if you look at the pilot of the show, it's still only really about a couple of storylines, namely the Stark family. And if you really look at it on a granular level, it is even more so Ned Stark's story. So even in an ensemble piece, there still needs to be some kind of lead in your pilot. Who is the audience going to be seeing that story through? Otherwise, if you don't have anyone in particular, we won't really care about the whole show because we won't be attached to anyone in particular. You need that point of view character, and even if that changes from episode to episode and doesn't always stay that person, you need to make a decision, at least in the pilot. Speaking of the supporting characters around them, I think you want to look to have them reflect different facets of that central character or that point of view character and the choices that that person could make. They're almost like the little angels and devils on someone's shoulder, pulling them in one direction or another. To go back to those archetypes, if your problem of the week is that the central character is trying to go on a successful date, then your Casanova is going to be teaching them sleazy moves and pickup lines, while the neurotic professional is going to give them a questionnaire to make sure their potential partner's life goals and interests line up with theirs perfectly. And, you know, if they're trying to figure out what to do for a date, the Casanova is going to suggest Netflix and chill, and the neurotic is going to suggest a, a formal dinner with a bunch of rules, like you don't kiss on the first date and you got to play hard to get. And those are kind of two streams from which a central character could choose. You suggested to Netflix and chill earlier, so you are the Casanova. <laughs> Maybe I am. Another thing I think that is also important to reflect on is the characters' dynamics with each other. Often people will write a cast of characters and then have them only interact with the plot, rather than thinking about actually what these characters think about each other, whether they like each other, whether they have conflict with each other in their past, things like that. 
how they interact with each other is going to be just as important as how they're interacting with whatever external events are happening in your story. Now let's talk about how you're going to be conveying those characters in your actual script. And the first element, the first big element is the character introduction. That means when we first meet them or even when they're being described by other people in that script. So first impressions really, really matter. You always want to convey in those first moments who that character is as a person through either what they do or say. And it's especially vital with that first scene when we meet them. Think about how Jack is introduced in the pilot of Lost. He wakes up in the middle of a bamboo forest wearing a suit. He's disoriented. He starts running through the jungle towards a loud revving sound in the distance. He gets to the beach, sees the plane crash, and the first thing he does is run towards the crash to help people. He's our lead. Now contrast that with how Locke is portrayed in the same episode. The first time you really are introduced to him, it's minutes later when he's kind of sitting on a piece of the wreckage, eyes fixed on the water. He's staring to nothingness and doesn't really respond when Hurley comes talking to him. And that's because he's kind of transfixed by what is happening to him because, spoiler alert, he just got the use of his legs back. Absolutely. The context in which a character is being presented to the audience is just as important as how you present them or describe them. You really want to make the most of this. None of that BS just waking up in the morning, sitting in an office (laughs) cubicle or driving their car to work. Like use unique settings, the actions that they're currently engaged in that are going to tell us things about them. And like Alex was saying, like the juxtaposition of things like uh, Jack waking up in a bamboo forest in a suit and then it's a plane crash. Like you're just using those expectations and twisting them around and subverting them to your advantage. You know what you should definitely do, Nick, in your next pilot is have a character wake up with an alarm. Uh, oh god roll over and and hit the snooze button again and then they drag themselves out of bed and like oh my god please stop doing that ever (laughs) context is very important i mean maybe it's other people talking about that character and that shadow that they cast over them the west wing is a great example of a major character i.e the president only introduced towards the end of the script and that is because the show is about the people around him but at the end of the day they're still defined by him by his wants and needs in fact if you look at the teaser of the pilot it's kind of a perfect encapsulation of just that now compare that to the opening scene of the scandal pilot by shonda rhimes it's two characters talking at a bar about the lead of our show olivia pope it goes against everything we've ever been taught about show don't tell Now, does it work? Well, you be the judge. But just be aware that there are different ways of introducing characters to the audience besides literally showing them. Let's talk a little bit more about how you actually write that character description then. I mean, even before we go into that, let me ask you, Nick, what are some of your favorite lines or character descriptions in a script? Well, this one's not TV, but it's one that's always kind of stuck out at me. It's from the movie Michael Clayton, written by Tony Gilroy. And the description is, Marty Buck looks up from his papers. He's 70. It's his name on the door. Big power, sweet eyes, a thousand neckties, a velvet switchblade. It's very kind of poetic and succinct, but it doesn't overdo it. And it just tells you a lot about this guy in very few words. I'm already imagining the vermouth in his hands. How about you? What's your favorite? Well, uh, just going back to the pilot of the West Wing, it's not my all-time favorite, but I really love this introduction of the Sam Seaborn character. I'll just read the short paragraph in the pilot of the West Wing that goes, The well-dressed and powerful are having after-dinner drinks in the hotel bar. Sam Seaborn, 31, is at a table having a conversation with a reporter he'd rather not be having. What Sam would rather be doing is talking to one of the two women at the bar, particularly the one who seems to be checking him out. 
Now, in just those few lines, you get a complete picture of who that character is. He's important, he's well-known, and he's a womanizer. And that's all you need to write to convey all those elements in a couple of sentences. Exactly. And on the surface, it might seem to some people like, well, you're saying things about him that we can't see. I mean, that, that is going to be reflected in how the actor portrays that character. He's going to be glancing over at the bar. He's going to look like he's not having a very good time with whoever he's talking to right now. So it's nothing like... Sam is currently thinking about the time that he was with this woman. Like, none of that stuff. Sam is feeling like this. Like, we, it's all stuff we can see. I mean, nonetheless, I would agree that the only place I feel like you could sort of get away with writing something the audience is not going to see is in character description because it's about that sense of who they are as people. In, in an abstract vacuum, it's hard to convey that in a, in a few words that are literally about what is shown. Mm. So sometimes you can sort of cheat and get away with that subversion. Yeah, I agree. I think you're allowed to cheat a little bit there if you do it well and if it informs us about the character in a really good way. But I want to contrast that kind of level of detail or poeticness or that kind of thing with the simplicity of what you often get in, in comedy. And then the example I'm going to use is uh, Community, the pilot of Community. We have Annie, who is Alison Bree's character, and she's introduced simply as 18, tightly wound, sweater vest. And then Troy, who's Donald Glover's character, is introduced as 18, letter jacket, all-American. So they are deliberately playing into these archetypes that we are familiar with, almost these high school archetypes, except obviously it's a community college and these people are basically still trapped in that arrested development stage of their lives. But, you know, often all you need are those two or three meaningful descriptors, and that can cover a lot of ground. And like we said before, contrast, conflict, and paradoxes all really help, especially if you want to add some uniqueness to those archetypes. For example, you might have a very well-spoken, intelligent guy who looks and dresses like trailer trash. It's all about audience expectations again. You know, the worst thing you can do, in my opinion, is under-describe your characters when we first meet them, because I guarantee the reader is going to forget who they are a few pages later, especially if they're in the mix in a big scene with a lot of people, if you describe everyone as age, comma, pretty. <laughs> Very rarely is it useful to describe how attractive your characters are. They're actors. They're all going to be good looking or at least TV ugly. <laughs> TV ugly. Is that who we are, Nick? Are we TV ugly? I hope so. Uh, I mean, yeah, that is the, the main issue with describing something just based on their physical appearance. If you're only doing it because you're describing an actor type instead of the actual character himself or herself, you've already lost the battle. Describing physical traits in of themselves means nothing unless you ascribe meaning to them. It's all about contrasting them with the world, as we keep saying, the story, the character is everything. If you're saying a character is gorgeous, it needs to be relevant to the narrative. For example, you're specifically pointing out why they look so good in comparison to someone else. And you may have noticed in those character descriptions, there is a lot of description about hair and wardrobe and makeup. You might think, well, that's a job for people on set. But this is actually one of those occasions where it's useful to play director a little bit. Because what the character wears, for example, how they cut or style their hair, how they do their makeup, they're all choices. Those choices reflect who these people are. Do they wear band t-shirts and ripped jeans or a button-up shirt and khakis and short shorts and a crop top? Do they have long, messy hair or a buzz cut? Do they accessorize with bangles and crystals? Or do they just wear a simple wedding band? Do they have tattoos? All that kind of stuff. These all tell us something about character from assumptions that we're making about these people and people that we see in real life who wear those things or do those things. And as a writer, you can either play into those assumptions or subvert them accordingly. You are setting the expectations then and there. 
And speaking of expectations, I did want to talk about ethnicity in the description. The one part about physical appearance that can sort of equally be discussed as everything we've been talking about is whether or not to include ethnicity in a character's description. Now, my rule of thumb is that I feel like I, I will either include ethnicity for all my characters or none of my characters. Now, the unfortunate truth about the world we live in is that a lot of readers see white as the default character description when it just should not be. If you're pointing out that a specific character is African-American or Asian-American, but don't comment on other characters in the same way who are meant to be white, that is, by definition, perpetuating that issue. On the flip side, you can not comment on any ethnicity with the understanding that the story itself will make things clear or will leave it up to the reader's interpretation. Now, you can also subvert it and or point it out in interesting ways. I mean, a friend of mine wrote a script taking place in an African-American community and made it clear that all the characters were black and then proceeded to highlight in character descriptions the handful of white characters. So I think that's a clever way of subverting that idea. But another way I've seen around that is in the character's name, perhaps, to give them something that sounds like they belong to a particular right. you know, thing. But it is certainly an issue when people assume that white is the default. And so there is an argument to be made for deliberately writing in ethnicities to ensure diverse casting in things. Because if you do leave it blank, then maybe if this gets made, they're just going to cast a bunch of white people or something. Right. But it goes back to sort of like the story itself and how you mm -hmm. interpret it. I mean, if you write the story in Harlem or yeah. some community that's specifically represented by some kind of minority, then hopefully the reader will understand if, he or she really cares about that world. Otherwise, I mean, what's Absolutely. the point? Yeah. And so there are also other visual choices that we can make as writers beyond that initial character description. And that includes visual imagery and metaphors that kind of suggest things about characters in a tangible way on screen. For everything from how they decorate their home and what kind of car they drive, what they keep on their desk at work, to using, you know, motifs and metaphors like, a, I don't know, a black wolf that follows someone around or someone who has trippy dreams or nightmares and using the imagery in those to reflect their inner struggles or their fears or the things that plague them. I mean, the reason why we're spending so long talking about a character description or character introduction is that when you introduce your lead in a script, that is often kind of a make or break point. If your introduction to that character is bad, then that probably means you don't really understand your character. And if your character is bad, then the rest of your script probably is as well, since as we've said, characters are the key to television. Now let's look at some elements that may not be physical traits of those characters. What are some examples of that? One thing that people talk about a lot is a character's voice. And usually what that means is the uniqueness of their dialogue in contrast with the other characters in the story. There's this old adage that you should be able to cover up all the character names in a script and still know who is talking by what they say and how they say those things. Right. I mean, if you take a listen back to our dialogue episode, we, we did a whole rant on the specificities of creating sort of a character through the way they speak, whether that is the stutter or an accent or maybe the way they confuse certain words with other words. So I think that's, I completely agree with Nick, that having the voice of a character clear in their dialogue is another way of pointing out who they truly are. And that is different to your voice as a writer as right. well, which is another thing, usually more in the, the prose and description, which we'll do an episode on in a couple of weeks. And so the other one, aside from character voice, is character point of view, POV. 
And this is more how a character sees the world differently from the other characters, and then how that informs their interactions with both the world and their supporting characters and friends. I feel like that's something that's almost underrepresented in the television, where you can sort of use, for example, an unreliable narrator to tell an interesting perspective. You can take your reader and audience on a journey. Have you seen Legion, Nick? Yes, absolutely. I that's an it. amazing sort of masterclass on unreliable narrator and taking the audience on a different perspective in the world. In comedy, particularly, point of view is very, very important. And it's something they teach in a lot of, you know, improv and sketch writing. Your character always has a point of view on the world, and that's going to usually in a comedic way influence every single thing they do. Is that specifically so they sort of butt heads with the other characters? Yeah, pretty much. It's going to cause conflict and as a result, comedy. It's kind of like what's happening in that world, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Donald Trump has a very different point of view than most sane human beings. <laughs> oh, speaking of useless characters... Uh, <laughs> Uh, what are some kind of filler characters and, and things to watch out for to not make someone kind of useless in a story? Like I was saying with comedy, you really want to focus on humor that is character driven and is unique to that character rather than them just being mouthpieces for generic jokes or gags. There's this temptation always to come up with a funny joke in a vacuum or maybe something that you would say as a person or a writer and then try and force it into a character's mouth rather than have it originate from you thinking about how would this character genuinely react or what would their take on the situation be and how that reflects who they are. This is how you get what I like to call Sorkinitis where every character uh, <laughs> down to the mailroom boy sounds like Oscar Wilde. Nick, uh, I'm sorry, but uh, you've got sarcoidus. Is it fatal? <laughs> it is. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta walk and talk really fast. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, there, there are similar issues also with characters that are just there for exposition, especially in science fiction or genre pieces. Why are they there in the first place? If they're only there to provide technobabble to make it believable for the audience that what is happening is happening, or they're there just to provide exposition, then you have gone the wrong path with that character. Another thing I want to touch on briefly is kind of building audience engagement or investment with a character. Another way to think about that might be empathy with a character. Now, what's really important is it doesn't mean they have to be likable or a good person. Those two things are not the same. An audience can be invested or engaged with a character, and they could be a terrible person. A couple of the, like, tips or tricks or tools that you can use to make the audience engage with your characters, particularly a central character, and this is something you want to do very early on in your script, if you choose to do this, are a couple of these things. Firstly, they can demonstrate admirable traits like loyalty or love or courage, especially when it's towards other people and at a cost to themselves, like they're self-sacrificing. Another thing you can do is have them be really good at something, whether that's winning cases as a lawyer or saving lives or being super smart or charming. It's kind of like their superpower or whatever. Another thing you can do is have them be treated or currently being treated unjustly. They're either in danger or they're grieving some loss that has happened to them that automatically kind of gets us on their side. Another one is make your character unique or attention grabbing in some way. You know, the character of House MD is very, you know, visually he's walking with a limp. He's got that attitude is very unique and memorable. For a feature example, think of Anton Sugar in No Country for Old Men. He has that really distinct voice. He has that weird haircut. He, you know, has a very particular way about him and he's just super attention grabbing. He stands out from everyone else. Lastly, you can, and you should be doing this anyway, but make sure that your character is facing some sort of inner struggle. They're attempting to overcome their fears or make a change in their lives. And especially if we as the audience can relate to those goals, they're universal, you know, to be loved, to succeed at work, to lose weight, like, you know, and this is us or something. At the end of the day, it's about having the audience care about your character in some way. And that means creating some kind of emotional reaction to that character one way or the other. And that's kind of the optimal way to go. 
And you brought up, Nick, this idea that they're really good at something. And one way of looking at characters is figuring out what is their superpower. And I think that solves a lot of issues in terms of what is the point of the character to begin with, especially if you're writing a procedural or a similar kind of very structural narrative. You want to think about why are they there doing what they're doing in a story? Yeah, in the same way that with plot and story, you want to think about why today? Why are we coming into this story right now? You want to think about why these people? Why are these the most interesting people that we can be watching, particularly for this situation and this premise? Whatever that sliding scale is depends on, obviously, the content and the story and the characters. But in my mind, it comes down to building nuanced and interesting characters. Complex characters will always save you when you're stuck with a plot, whereas I feel like the opposite is never true. If you're stuck in story, you're just stuck in story until you figure out a way out. But if you have a compelling characters, maybe they can lead the way to that solution. Ultimately, if you have to pick between writing awesome people or in kind of an intricate mechanism that is compelling on a structural level, always pick the former, not the latter. Let's talk about how these characters are actually represented within the story, on the page, on the screen. How can we take something immaterial, like what kind of person someone is, and then show it in a visual medium like television? Dialogue isn't the only tool we have available to us as writers. Yeah, I mean, the first way of doing that is through action. Action informs character. That is really, if you think about it, the only way to inform the audience about who they are. And I mean who they really are, not some resume information or some baggage exposition. What they do matters more than what people say about them as well, which is why showing is more interesting than telling. Practically, that means putting your characters at a crossroad and watching them as they make that decision. A great example of that is in Spider-Man when the villain makes the hero choose between saving the woman he loves or saving a group of innocent. What is he going to do? There's been a similar choice done in The Dark Knight, where Batman has to choose whether to save his love or Harvey Dent. He ends up saving the latter, Harvey Dent, because the Joker actually knew that he would pick his lover, so he flipped those choices. Yeah, exactly. So it's not just action, but it's choices and decisions. You know, if your character sees someone drop their wallet, do they pick up the wallet, take out the cash and toss it away? Or do they chase that person down and hand it back? You really want to be throwing opportunities, temptations and catch 22s at your character and the decisions that they make in those situations will show us who they are. It's basically like when you're walking down Ralph's, the, like one of the aisles at Ralph's in the, in the candy aisle and you're considering, hmm, should I, uh, should I pick that uh, bag of MMMs or should I eat something healthy? And not just that, but in particularly in comedy, again, often these choices and these decisions in Catch-22s should be reflective of the core inner struggle of your character. A lot of superhero stories are about their choice between their personal life and their duties as a superhero. And so constantly that, you know, if it's a TV show, every episode, they're going to be faced with the decision of, do I go and help my family and my friends, or do I need to do what's good for the greater good and follow my duty and all that kind of thing. So whatever your character's core conflict is, find a way to reflect that through choices and decisions in every episode of your show. Right. I thought like that connects directly to the reason why they're doing what they're doing, which is characters like people need to have a purpose. And I don't mean they need to have a purpose for the story. I mean, they themselves need to have a purpose in their lives. In other words, a goal. This goal should inform their decision making throughout your story. Yeah, exactly. The entire reason for a character to start somewhere, you know, be introduced in a pilot is to finish up somewhere else, except for maybe hard reset sitcoms. 
But, you know, whatever corner you paint your protagonist or team into in the pilot, whatever crucible you have concocted to test them, it's going to take them on a character journey. And it's pretty much on three levels, external, internal, and thematic. They're going to physically go through trials and tribulations in the pilot and in each episode and even across all the seasons. And then those external plot events are going to force them to confront and try to overcome their inner conflicts in doing so. And when they succeed or fail, ultimately it kind of speaks to something thematic, a universal lesson or message about ourselves or the world around us. Like our friend Gary was saying the other day, Neil Gaiman's quote about the first story we ever told around the campfire was, I went over there and a big cat tried to eat me, so don't go over there. That's, you know, a story in its most basic premise. Um, Our stories now are more complex and nuanced, and they instead kind of teach us lessons or precautionary tales about, for example, finding love or fulfillment, how to overcome our fears, what the experiences are of people who are not like us, you know, exploring and raising awareness of social and moral issues instead. Yeah, it's like Maslow's Pyramid of Needs. Now we don't need to escape big cats. So we think about other things. Yeah, now we're up on that very top of the pyramid, which I think he calls (laughs) self-actualization. And a good way to think about character arcs in your story is in terms of character needs versus wants. The long-term payoff of a TV show is often linked to the character's wants and needs. Think about writing what they need as the opposite of what they want, i.e. their goal. If a character is spending his entire time trying to resurrect his dead wife, then what he really needs is to let her go. Now, obviously, you want things to happen in between, like maybe she comes back to life and she isn't quite how he remembered her, but having contrasting wants and needs is a good narrative way to push your characters forward. Yeah, it's important to note that characters don't always know what they need. Right. And they discover that along the way. It's like that Rolling Stones song, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) What are the takeaways from today's episode? Number one, TV is a character's medium. People are tuning in to see how and why characters do things more so than the things themselves. Number two, TV is also a visual medium. So you want to find ways to express character through actions, choices, visual description, and imagery on top of just dialogue and exposition. Number three, every character needs a reason to exist like us, either as a contrast (laughs) to other characters or to serve a role in the larger story. Number four, characters are defined by where they start and where they end up, as well as how they choose to pursue that goal along the way. Consider their external, internal, and thematic journeys. And, Nick, do you have any resources about character? Yeah, there's this book that I read a little while back when I was doing my master's that uh, it's called The Art of Dramatic Writing by, uh, uh, I believe the author's name is Lajos Egri. Say it three uh, times really fast. It's uh, spelled L-A-J-O-S space E-G-R-I. Uh, and this is kind of an old school book published back in 1942. And I believe it was largely focused on writing stage plays and traditional fiction. But he really goes into a lot of depth on knowing your characters and who they are before you write. And apparently there's also a follow-up book called The Art of Creative Writing, which I haven't read. But apparently that delves even more into character development motivation. So maybe try that one too, or even instead of this one. What's your resource? Well, this week, my resource is The Motion Thesaurus by Angela Ackerman and Becca Puglisi. It's a great dictionary specifically to find interesting ways of conveying your character's emotions to the reader. Now, the book highlights several emotions and lists ideas for body language cues, visceral responses, and other visual elements to really show the emotion inside. They also have other sort of dictionaries for other kinds of character-based elements, but I thought that was the most interesting of them. 
Oh, that sounds cool. It's like, you know, as we've always been saying, you find a way to describe visually how someone's feeling rather than saying this character is feeling X. And so it sounds like that'd be a really great tool for that. Yeah, it's the perfect encapsulation of show, don't tell, which I feel like that should be the motto of this podcast by now. Yeah. And on that note, we would like to thank you listeners for listening to us talk about character. You can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 46. If you want to leave us some reviews, please do. Uh, We need them to survive. You can do that at paperteam.co slash iTunes. And all those iTunes reviews are going to help us get new listeners, build our fun little community. Uh, I swear we'll throw you all a party sometime. In fact, you should leave a review right now. We're going to wait for one second. All right. That was a great review. Thanks, guys. (laughs) And would you look at that? We got four brand new reviews (laughs) that just happened to... Oh, wow. Thanks, everyone. Uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's take a read they're definitely not from a while ago the first one uh, is entitled fantastic podcast for any aspiring tv writer and this is by tyler 1617 and he says i'm an office pa working in tv who also wants to write half hour comedies and i've never felt so directly addressed career aspirations wise than with this podcast a lot of times at work i'm doing menial pa work and then i'm sent on a run and have a chance to listen to the podcast like this one where i remember exactly what i'm shooting for and why i put the extra work in during my few off hours anyway highly recommend the show no that's really nice thank you tyler we also got this one from lauren consenti who says Hooray for Paper Team. Delightful, practical, helpful. Big ups to Alex and Nick. Thanks for doing this, guys. Thank you, Lauren. I believe that was Lauren that I met at the Austin Film Festival, right? Maybe. I haven't met her. We follow each other on Twitter. She's actually moving to LA uh, pretty soon. So potentially it could be the same. Absolutely. Well, good to hear from you again. Uh, The next one is called Just Found Monday. Well, sorry. The title of it is Just Found Monday at 5 a.m. Called in sick to work to listen through, (laughs) which is hilarious. I love that. And the review ends by Devin McKay. And uh, he or she says, this is an incredibly helpful podcast on writing for TV. A must listen. I'm really glad you missed work just for us. (laughs) I feel honored. (laughs) And finally, let's read this one by Le Fierce. I don't know if it's a... Le Fierce, he's French like me, but uh, I love the name, Le Fierce. <laughs> Sounds like a joke that I would make about how to say something in French. <laughs> yes. Uh, and the review is entitled, Fantastic, Even If You're Not a TV Writer. And Le Fierce says, I was tuned into this podcast attending the, the TV Writers versus Fandom panel they hosted at WandaCon. They were so prepared, asked great questions, and delved deeper into the tougher issues. I'm not a TV writer. But listening to other episodes of this podcast, I've gained new insight into how the entertainment industry works and the ups and downs for TV writers. I find it fascinating, and it's enriched my understanding of what goes into the shows I'm enjoying. As a fan of shows, and now a fan of this podcast, thanks, Alex and Nick. No, thank you, Lefiers. That was really thank nice. Thank you, Lefiers. That was really nice, yes. Once again, we'd like to thank our sponsor, the Tracking Board's Launchpad Writing Competitions. Paper Team listeners can save $15 off their next purchase. Just use the code PAPERTEAM, all one word, all caps, at the checkout to receive your discount. You can learn more about all of the Launchpad's current and upcoming writing competitions by visiting tblaunchpad.com. And as always, I'm on Twitter at TVCalling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. If you have any thoughts, feedback, thoughts, opinions about this episode and other ones, please send them to ask at paperteam.co. 
Nick, what are we doing next week? Next week, we're going to have a very special guest. His name is Hilliard Guess. He's the host of the Screenwriters Rant Room podcast. He's also vice chair of both the WGA Committee of Black Writers and the LGBT Committee. And he's going to talk about breaking in outside the system of traditional network staffing and studio feature assignments and all that stuff. Outside the system. (laughs) We're going rogue. (laughs) See you next week. See you then.